Hello, and welcome to Connected by Life. I'm your host, Sean Paul Harrison. Connected by Life was created to have engaging conversations about important topics that impact physicians and our clinical stakeholders. Today, our special guest is Dr. Michelle Self. You can really hear her passion for families and patients when she's discussing palliative care. She's the Chief of Palliative Medicine and Supportive Care, as well as the Director of Inpatient Hospice at Ostrom LSU Health Shreveport. She's been very instrumental in implementing the palliative care program at LSU. So I was thinking back, we met, it was probably in 2020, and we started having these conversations about palliative care, and then you were... Uh, so grateful in, in, in being a part of our first ever virtual physicians conference back in 2021. Actually, it was during June of 21, during COVID. And so we started having discussions. And so I really thought that it would be a good idea to bring you in today and really get down and started diving into the conversations of palliative care and what that truly is. So before we even get started, you know, it's always intrigued me on how someone gets involved in their career. And I wanted to ask you, like, what guided you or inspired you with this journey into palliative care? I actually became interested in hospice care during my family practice uh, residency that started in 1997. And back then, palliative care wasn't a thing yet. Uh, It was just hospice care. And um, I just had a love for for the uh, nursing staff and the people that were taking care of these patients in their end-of-life situations. And then over the years, it, it's kind of evolved um, into what palliative medicine is today. Well, I'm glad that you brought that up because one of the things, you know, I've been with LOPA for 20 years, and I mean, this is only from my own experience, but in those 20 years, you know, palliative care has not been such a common thing. And there's so many different aspects of the layers that you all provide, not only for the families, but also to other physicians. So I wanted to kind of talk to you about some of those uh, those particular things as far as for like... When when are the triggers of when you all are involved or when you're actually consulted with these families and these patients? So most commonly, our, our triggers here at our institution are for goals of care discussions. When we have families that um, we just need to have difficult discussions with and we need to come up with plans of where we're going to go with our care. Um, and also uh, advanced care planning. We do a lot of advanced care planning with with patients who have life-limiting and terminal illnesses. So how engaged are, you know, with your experience over those years? Because I think you started like back in 1997, I believe. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've even talked about like some of the misconceptions and things like that. First of all, I'd like to just ask you, like, what are some of those misconceptions, at least earlier in your time, as opposed to where we are now? I think the most common misperception about palliative care is that we are just hospice care. That's not true. Hospice care is a part of palliative care, but um, in the big picture, palliative care is is kind of like um, an extra layer of support for people that have terminal or life-limiting diseases. And our ultimate goal in palliative care is to uh, improve the quality of life, not only for the patient, but also their families. And when we're talking about this palliative care team, obviously you're a huge part of that. Who else is involved in that team? And how do those conversations go, especially in the initial part of y'all's involvement? Our core team is made up of the palliative care physicians. 
Uh, we have a nurse practitioner. We have a nurse manager. Um, we have a fabulous social worker, a chaplain. And when we have our uh, pediatric patients, we'll also bring in uh, a child life specialist or the pediatrician or neonatologist. What are some of the different goals that you all have? Well, depending on the on the illness, we'll discuss with the family, you know, what are their needs? Are they social needs? Are they uh, spiritual needs? Are they medical needs? We, as palliative medicine physicians, we focus on how to treat the negative symptoms of that illness. And that negative symptoms are the ones that, that affect our quality of life the most, like pain and nausea and vomiting, uh, dizziness, those kind of things. One of the things that I was going to reference was something that was very important that I think that you touched on back in our virtual physician conference was those seven key domains of ICU palliative care. So more specifically to the ICU patient and those families and those. So would you mind touching on a couple of those seven particular domains that you referenced? Sure. So the the seven key domains that we were discussing with the ICU palliative care actually came from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation uh, for a critical care end of life peer work group. So the the first one is usually, you know, where we focus most of our energy, and it's on uh, patient and family-centered decision-making. We work with the families, the patient, and the uh, physicians involved in their care to lay out a path, lay out what our treatment options are, the pros and cons, and um, talk with the patient and with the family about what their wishes are. And we try to as the disease progresses, honor those patients' wishes. Another one of the things that, that we really strive to do is to help our ICU clinicians. Uh, a lot of our, our physicians, and especially our young learning doctors, our residents and our fellows, they're just not comfortable having um, these difficult discussions with the families yet. And we can help them, train them, and help them walk through those discussions uh, with families. And hopefully they will Uh, be able to be fluent in that in the future. So I'd like to touch on that one in particular because I could kind of like shift as far as for the, this conversation a little bit because of that's where we started to get involved with you all a little bit more is more the acute um, injuries of the patients that you all had been working with and, and their families when, you know, when LOPA, Louisiana Organ Procurement Organization or agency has been involved. And so this is how we kind of formed our relationship. So one of the things you were talking about was the conversations with the family. Um, and I think that probably, you know, one of the most important factors of that is that consistency in the conversations for family, especially for patients that have non-survivable brain injuries or a poor prognosis. Yeah, that that's true. You know, frequently the, the treating physicians and the resident bill They'll change rotations, but our palliative care, we, we are pretty consistent. We're, we try to stay with the families throughout the entire uh, hospitalization. And when the, the treating physicians don't have time to really sit down and uh, have these discussions, and, and we're able to sit with this family, you know, usually our first encounter with them is at least an hour long uh, to find out where we are and um, our treatment goals and options about moving forward. Well, I know that it has had a tremendous impact on the families because generally speaking, you know, having that initial conversation, even though the the other physicians, whether it's an attending or another consulting physician, would want to give all that family as much time as they could, 
sometimes that's not realistic. And so you all being another layer to that family and providing that amount of time has been really, really helpful. So especially in understanding, you know, everything that's going on, um, depending on how long that family, that patient has been there. So obviously y'all have been consulted on this particular patient and working with this family. And then, you know, we become involved as far as for their neurological status. Can you talk about how important it is for our collaboration to work together to make sure that the family is supported and then, you know, understanding that timing of when we provide the opportunity of donation to the family? Sure. Uh, Once we've talked to that family and they have decided to transition their loved one to comfort care, uh, then we start working alongside LOPA to see if that patient uh, meets any screening criteria. And if they do, then LOPA then you know comes in and starts to speak with that family. I just know that that's one of the most important factors when working together is, one, making sure that we're communicating together on what the family's understanding is. And then, two, screening that patient. Are they a potential for donation? And then lastly is working on coordinating what's the best time to have that conversation with the family. Can you share an experience that maybe you personally had as far as for a family that was able to donate? Sure. There's there's one young man that stands out in my mind. He had a, a terrible MBA and had just a tremendous head trauma. And, and we as medical staff knew that it was not a survivable injury. But uh, when his family arrived, they were, you know, full of hope and denial and kept pleading with him to to be a fighter and fight his way through this. And then, you know, over the next few days as we talked to them, we we watched the family move to acceptance and then their hope changed from wanting the cure to possibly how can we help someone else benefit uh, even through our tragedy. And it was difficult to, to watch them go through that transition of of feelings, but um, in the end, our, our hospital staff and the family, we had a, a hero walk that was that was really special for the entire hospital. We can't imagine what it's like to have those conversations. I mean, this is this is a conversation that you often have, unfortunately, for families. One is, you know, we can't be as as appreciative as you can imagine of what you're doing for these families. Also, you know, just recognizing the loss, not only for the family, but also to you as staff. And hopefully, you know, you all seeing that through this, something good that comes out of it. And uh, for these families, and also, like you mentioned, for these recipients that are awaiting a gift of life. Because I know that in your institution, there's a very positive culture. Have you seen this, the process of this, has been something that has really given back to them whenever they're going through a loss? Oh, definitely. You know, we, we spend a lot of time loving on the family and trying to, to help them emotionally and spiritually through these situations and, and to have them have a positive feeling at the end um, is, is really rewarding. And for our staff also, uh, for them to, to feel that even though this patient is, is, has passed, that there is a, a promise of you know, good things that will come out of it. Yeah, when we were talking earlier about that palliative care is not something that, that is utilized as much in every single hospital, every single institution, I think that that's something that we've definitely recognized on how much we've noticed that palliative care being involved has helped support, 
you know, the ICU staff, the physicians, and um, helping it separate the emotional and decision-making struggles that the team has been there for and caring with the patient. And I, I think that taking some of the emotional aspect and some of the um, the harder decisions away from the nursing staff and the, the the treating residents and physicians and kind of handling that for them um, gives them a little break of, of just some of the you know the heaviness of the situation that they're dealing with day in day out. Well, Dr. Self, thank you so much for coming on and, and briefly talking about the impact that palliative care has had on you personally, on us, the families, and on the hospital as well. Um, if there's one thing that you would want to leave everyone with, what would that be? I would say that with palliative medicine, we really want to get involved early. And in some illnesses like uh, MS or ALS, we would like to get involved in that patient care, maybe even as early as at the time of diagnosis so that we can start to talk with that family and that patient and um, have have a game plan laid out so that as that disease progresses, the physicians and the family already know what that patient's wishes are. Well, thank you for giving your insight and you spending time with us here today, and we look forward to working with you in the future. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime at registerme.org. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Connected by Life on your favorite podcast app. And remember, you're a light worker. Keep shining. production of LOPA. The content in this podcast is intended for informational purposes only and not intended to substitute for professional medical advice. To read our full disclaimer, please visit our website. The Connected by Life podcast is hosted by myself, Sean Paul Harrison. Our executive producer is Kirsten Heinz. Our production assistant is Chandra Williams, and we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez.